0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to one of these interview episodes of the SWW show. I'm Mike, and today with me, two special guests from across the world. We're going to go with that one. Uh, So to get us started, do you guys mind introducing yourselves? I guess we'll start with Robin.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Robin from Germany. And I graduated in game development like two years ago. Uh, I'm 23 now, right now and met Eve in the like studying. Yeah. while well, studying.
2: Hello. <laughs> oh,
3: so, yeah. Um, I'm Eve. I'm 28 and I also studied with, uh, together with Robin. And it was like two years ago, we created our own studio, which is called Smokestep and. Since then, we are developing on our own game called Orbital Bullet, uh, which we released this year.
0: Yeah, we'll get to that game's currently in early access, right? So it's that's that's always a fun There's always the fun time to talk to people, because it's like, they're like, oh, the game's kind of out there. But it's super stressful, because everything is still changing and broken always.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> uh, to get us started, I don't care which one, because uh, after the other you quite say it, what is Orbital Bullet
3: So um technically it's a 2D platform and a free world so it's like this 360 unique mashup so it feels like a 2D platform and a free world and that's also how we kind of pitch it to all the people like it's free, this 360 action roguelite and technically you fight through cylindric worlds and defeat uh, evil CyberTech Corporation. So it's a lot of sci-fi action and shooting.
0: Is your world design Because like, to me, when I see it, the only game I can think of that I have seen, I think a lot that has done something similar is like gun. I'm kind of curious if there are other games that kind of mm-hmm. like pulled that. Like I think it's still a very unique look because it's very uncommon. But this thing of like it's 2D, 3D, but you're in this cylinder, kind of moving around.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. Resogun is a game that often comes to mind of people and also like, or is it called Nebulous? I think it's a really old game, uh, that was also about climbing a tower, also a platformer. Uh, but we didn't actually know about the games before we made our prototype. It was more like after creating it, the people came like, Oh, it reminds me of that. We didn't even know Resogun,
3: to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it was. Also on, that on showcases. <laughs> I think on showcases, <laughs> yeah. people managed, Oh, this is like Resogun. And we're like, we don't know what that is, but that looks also really cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it, again, it's still yeah. not super common. So, like, even if it's like, yeah. oh, we well, found, even, even if it happens to be a similar idea, like it's for sure one of those things that like I pulled a game. You guys pulled a second game. It's not like people pulled dozens of games to be like, oh, this is very similar to that look.
2: <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> well, so I'm curious then, since so like, you guys say you graduated two years ago with your degree. Did Was this like mm-hmm. a game you guys kind of talked about at the time? Or is this kind of like kind of post-college? You're like, okay, what do we do?
3: Um, I think it started during our study. So we studied both game development. And then there's this kind of uh, semester when you could actually go into a company and look into how working is. Or you could kind of, as a project of your own, create your own company in a simulated space. And that's actually what Robin and I did. And before we came together and started working together, I had this little prototype, which was the initial idea of the Orbital Bullet game. And then we both worked together on this and iterated over it, created a bigger and better game kind of out of a little prototype. And that's how we started with it.
0: The age-old, that's always the fun level of risk. Um... So, uh so, so my understanding of you guys' responsibilities is, Robin, you're much more. I've written down as the the pure designer, and you're the, the programmer. Is that kind of how you guys are dividing the workload?
1: Uh, it's a pretty funny story. We both do pretty, like, we do everything together. Yeah, we're like the two designers of the the systems and programmers and stuff. The only thing we don't do is the art most of the time. Uh but we just write the people. One of us is the game designer and one is the programmer and sometimes switch it around. It's like, because we all (laughs) do everything together. Um, Yeah, that's really
3: funny on applications. (laughs) Like, what are you this time? And then I'll just write designer. That's fine. And next time, what are you at this time? (laughs) I'm the programmer. Okay.
0: See, see, I, I appreciate so. I'm working on a game with a friend and uh, he, we're also we're kind of doing a similar boat where like we're both designers but I'm doing more the programming side he's doing more the art side but he hates the term artist so every application ever I just write down he's the artist just to upset him.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> I think we're both yeah, Eve is more the business guy of, uh, of us too so when when it comes to the document stuff he's the guy to, to talk to uh, talk about uh, yeah, I mainly yeah, only gameplay programming, I guess. That's the uh, the major part.
0: Hmm. So, the, so the reason I ask is because obviously you guys are a, a super tight team. <laughs> like, even even because you have a publisher as, as as um as I communicate to to get to you guys, it's but it's still like workload. I assume is still this fun kind of balancing act. I was kind of curious if we kind of touch on that to because this game is one of those games that it feels like a super tight experience. But it it definitely feels like there's a lot of stuff happening, especially on the back end. I'm kind of curious how you guys are balancing this idea of content and scale with the realistic constraints of your team.
2: Uh,
3: It's it's hard, to be honest, with such a little team. And when we initially started the game, it was way smaller, like some kind of feature creep came over it. And it became bigger and bigger, but we felt it was necessary for the game to be the game we wanted it to be. And from early on, we had this philosophy, which I think helped us even today to keep up with the scale of like iterating very fast. So we make very fast prototypes. We don't discuss the concepts too much into detail. We rather just make quick prototypes and then judge based on them. And try to get things in as fast as possible. I think this makes it possible for our small team to have a game in this kind of scale.
1: I think it's also um we still learn how to do it correctly because it's also the first time we're doing early access, so we are confronted with many new problems we didn't encounter before, so it's like I think half a year it will take to to get the planning perfect, but then it will be it will be alright, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's kind of an interesting problem um, that I feel. So, obviously, your game has, has elements of roguelites to them, which I think is the type of game that works decently well in early access, because early access, the concern is content burn, and, and roguelites inherently control this content burn. I'm curious, how has development changed now that you guys are in a more public-facing mode of this early access versus like doing internal prototypes or sending them to publisher prototypes versus like, oh no, mm-hmm. if we update the game now and it breaks, we're
3: screwed. I would say it's way more stressful because you can't handle it like previous when it's mostly shared internally. So right now it's like we have to be really careful with um, changes we make, especially on the live version. We can just pop something in and try it out, which we did previously. And also the time schedule is like kind of set in stone in a way. Like you can't say, okay, this takes now one month more and we just take the one month because we have the update schedule. So it's really tight in a way and more stressful than non-early access. (laughs) But it's uh, it's also very cool because you get all this feedback. And you can actually see which systems work out like planned and which need um, more work or incomplete overall. So I think that's the really good part in early access.
0: That's that's a very good, honest response. So let's kind of jump kind of back into the systems games. The thing I really love about these games is to discuss kind of the systems and how you make this rogue-like loop work really well. Um. again this could be for either of you depending who it makes more sense to what immediately to either of you stands out as like one of the unique roguelike systems that you guys really like in this game that you think really is like one of the great showpieces whether it's progression or kind of your weapons like what is it to you that you're like this is really kind of like what makes the loop of this game
1: I think the, the more unique systems are the uh, in run skill tree so when you're in the run itself and uh You can build it. I didn't. don't know. Have you played the game? Or did you just like...
0: Uh, so do I, you notice know this? Or I po- do I have to explain it? I poked it a little, but for the audience, can you explain it?
1: Okay, so um basically you can... When proceeding through the level, you get like... Well, it's hard to say, like patterns of skills. And you can build them together to get a unique skill tree only you can have in this run. So the connections and everything will stack up. And in the end, you will have a skill tree, but it won't be the the same as the one before, so everyone has its unique one. Uh, I think that's a pretty cool feature, because you can like, adjust the skill tree to your current build and what you want to play in this run, and we want to like make this even bigger in the future, but it's, it's a really cool feature.
0: So let's just kind of dig into that. Why did you guys make the decision to... So normally in these kind of games, at least I think a lot of the big ones, is... Um, if you have a skill tree, I feel like they're predetermined for a lot of people before the run. I find it interesting is you decided to determine it like, during the run and kind of let the user have some level of this progression in that way during the run. Mm-hmm. Was that kind of a, like, you just wanted more, the user to feel like they had more control or kind of like, why do you go down this path?
1: Like, um, uh, in the beginning, we, we had the classic uh, upgrade after each level, like in Nuclear Throne. Where you like collect one or two upgrades depending on your level. Uh, but in our minds, it was always like, we want to have builds like the, the explosive guy running through the level, exploding everything. We thought it's like not in the control of the player to get this going. So we were looking at other approaches like the skill tree, but then it was like you said, most of the time it's set in, in stone before the run. And we were like, maybe we can make an, approach that makes it more dynamic and that's how this skill tree developing in the run came up like yeah
3: yeah i think i think the the roguelike kind of theme was put into this static rpg kind of skill tree and we thought about how to make the skill tree dynamic and not just dynamic that it's kind of the worst thing so it should not be super complicated, but on the other side, it should be complicated enough to, or diverse enough to make unique builds. And I think we came out with a pretty good solution, which makes it very quickly accessible and fast to switch out skills and make your own builds every run. And it's turned out to be a really cool system, yeah. like meshing RPG elements with roguelike, kind of like the skill tree aesthetics with procedural generation, kind of. Was
0: there any concern that if you went too far down that RPG path, you might lose users if they consider it too complicated?
3: Mm, I would say at the start we were more on the arcade kind of uh, direction where everything was way more simple like having health as containers like only have six containers of health and your weapons deal like one damage to an enemy and enemies have like a certain amount of containers. But then over time, when we developed more weapons and created weapon tier systems and stuff like that, we felt it was necessary to go in kind of the RPG direction, at least in certain ways, like how we calculate damage, handle health and stuff like that but we were always certain that we don't go too deep that hole, that it's not too much an RPG. So we try to stay at some kind of middle point between the arcade game and the deep RPG system, so it's not too complicated at all.
1: Yeah, and most of the time it's also about communication with the player. And we give like limited choices. For example, you have two patterns to choose from for the, for the skill tree. So it's a, it's a 50-50 and someone who doesn't understand it can still use it. And someone who understands it gets an even better reward out of it. That's also something we always keep in mind to reward good players, but do not punish. Like, I don't want to say bad players, but new players and <laughs> too hard.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> new players a lot of times are the bad players. Um, I find it a smart decision that was made there then, um, slash a a good one that is to limit the (laughs) decisions of the players. Uh, Because, yeah, I can only imagine, can imagine a new player walking in, like, I have twenty choices, what is the correct one? Because even though a round only lasts a couple minutes, that player will always feel that first time, why could it be better? And 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 if there's too many decisions, they will have the problem of, like, they, they just will be panicked. so let's so one of the things about these games I think really stands out, and I think what looks really cool when we just look at your game is is the weapons what is for both of you guys? What are your favorite weapons in the games like do you have one that stands out
3: I think the rocket launcher was a long time my favorite because I really liked how it's traveling along the circle, like it's it's not 360 degree, it's like 540 degree, so it even goes beyond one circle. I really liked that for a long time. But uh, since the recent patches and the recent new upgrades, I'm also kind of a favorite in some of the midi builds, or kind of close combat builds. But the 360 weapons design, and if you kill enemies with it, it's really satisfying. More than anything else, I would say.
1: Yeah, I'm also more into the, the close combat, to be honest. Uh, like on-hit builds with stuns and, uh, throwing grenades while shooting. That's why most of the time play the SMG or laser submachine gun. Uh, just because there are so many bi- different builds, like you can go a uh, stun everyone AOE build or just some explosive blow everything up build. I think it has the most diversity at the moment. That's also something the other builds might need. And also the long-range weapons.
3: Mm. But On the other side, some long-range weapons, like the laser beam gun. It's like a 360 laser that goes through the whole level. That's some really cool stuff you can do with it. Like add upgrades with chain lightning and then you have um, enemies hit. There's also an additional layer to our combat. Like the inner circle and the outer circle. And with certain upgrades, you can skip between these kind of layers. And then you can nearly hit the whole level in one shot. It's really satisfying.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is. There is something really cool about visually with you guys because you can, not always, but nearly see the entire level kind of at one time. That you could do some really cool visual tricks with that. Did you guys. So, as you talk about the one, the rock launch, I think you said, can go like basically a loop and a half. Was there any discussion of having, like, better weapons that could just basically loop forever just because of the really cool look of it? Or are you guys looking at this from a more of a practical gameplay sense versus just, like, the cool static looks? Obviously there's some balance going on there.
3: Mm, I would say it's a balance, also with the level design. Because you have this 360 mechanic, you want to make use of it in the level. So you don't just want to place blocks everywhere, like blocking the path of the player. You want to give him space where he really can make use out of the 360 mechanic. So that's always something that goes into consideration when we create levels. Um, And for the 360 weapons, we discover new mechanics like every week where we think about if they shoot the game, because we want them always kind of fast-paced. What the, What's the nature of the game? But yeah, there's still a lot to discover, and I think in the next update, we will emphasize a lot of our work to the 360 weapons.
1: And there, there is also a problem with the long-range weapons. Uh, the problem is when you can shoot the 360 degree or more, uh, and you can... Destroy the blocks. You can easily turn into like a turret that does not have to move. Just shoot left, right, and clear everything. Uh, we had this problem earlier in development, and that's always something we have to keep in mind to not make a OP weapon that's boring because that's like the worst case.
0: Yeah, which is a thing that in my head, me, I'm like, oh, that seems like a fun idea of like just putting a, a turret. And like, I guess to me, because in I'd be like, oh, the weapon has to be temporary, just because, yeah. In the moment, yeah. you feel super powerful, but after, like, 30 seconds, you're like, okay, and now I don't have to move at all.
3: Yeah, but it's uh, interesting that you brought it up, Robin, because this was something we discovered in the in the development process, and then this was immediately something we thought about for the enemies, how they can prevent it, and then we implemented some shielded type of enemies, and this really made the six weapons really cool because then you have to th- think about, like, an enemy stands left of you and is shielded towards you, then you have to turn around to hit him, actually. So this gives the combat a whole nother dimension, which is really cool. Like, yeah, you can't hit him from the front, but if you turn around, you can't just hit him in the back. Um, and this way we can also make more empowered enemies that don't just get bursted away from the 360 weapons.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really cool problem and then solution came up with obviously that I think ad- that added to it that you probably wouldn't have I'm assuming you might have come with eventually but like seems like one of have come as natural as a decision yeah so let's kind of as we talk about you are in early access the game has been in early access now for a couple months mm-hmm. um immediately I'm kind of curious how has the reception of the game been compared to what you guys thought of the
3: Uh, I, I would say if I describe the day one, because this was really the most important day for us, it was like we released this game after a long time of developing and we had no idea how people would react. And then waking up the next day and seeing like the reviews and that it's like nearly only positive reviews was, I would say, for us the best reception we could have hoped for. Because this was really a fear we had, like, What if it hits, like, 60% rating or something like that? Then, like, if people don't like it and stuff like that, so you have always this kind of fear uh, if that happens. But that actually didn't happen for us, so it was, like, 80% or 90% even uh, positive, and this was, like, a big relief for us. Like, it's, oh, God, yeah, people enjoy the game. That's good. We just work, like, uh, two hours on this, and it's crap. So the reception was really good, and... This made us even more motivated, I would say.
1: Yeah, and also we have cool people on the Discord that still are in contact with us, and they also giving input. They're a little, little more critic than the, the people on Steam. They point out many errors, but that's good. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I assume, I've noticed that too, the Discord people, a lot of times we haven't kind of shown them a lot, that it's kind of like, like, yeah, we found this weird specific bug here, but like, In a Steam review, you'd never expect them to kind of do that level of nuance because they're like, yeah, I didn't like the game. Thank you. And you're like, that's helpful.
3: (laughs) But it's good if you have people that are so so into it and look even for these kind of issues. It really helps a lot, yeah.
0: Definitely. So let's kind of, if you guys don't mind, look in the future now a couple months. What if people would check out your game now? What can they look forward to in the next couple months of updates?
2: Yeah, Robin, do you want to
3: say something about it? Can, or? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so we're, like, always working on new levels at the moment. Like, content in the run itself is the, the most important part at the moment. But we also think about, like, fun modes. I, I can't say, like, I can't promise stuff. That's, that's something we can't do. But we think about, like, fun modes and endless stuff maybe in the future. And also more content, like the, the secrets and stuff, that's something that's missing out at the moment. As you said, early access is always like a content hole that needs to be filled. And so more content in run and also cooler classes you can choose from to have more unique builds. I think these are the, the biggest parts.
3: Yeah, I think we have very good and solid base systems and it's mostly like how people like progression on this or on this, and then we make changes accordingly and what's mostly the stuff we do in early access is a lot of new content so new cool weapons, new crazy upgrades, more builds more planets, that's what you go uh, can expect in the future of the game so a lot of variety and stuff to discover
0: <laughs> Perfect and then to kind of close it out then guys, if people wanted to go check out your game where should we be sending them?
3: Mm, I would say directly to Steam, because then they can uh, actually just buy it over there. And if they're really into it or want to see more insights from the development stuff, uh, they can also join our Discord. But it's only if you want to, yeah. And
0: I assume (laughs) Discord is either linked on the Steam page or on your website directly?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, guys, thank you for taking time out of noon to talk to me about the game. Everyone should go they want. Go on Steam. It's Orbital Bullet, the 360 roguelite. Again, (laughs) thank you guys, and enjoy the rest of your evening.
3: Thank you. Thanks thanks for having us.
0: (laughs) This episode is partially brought to you by the Humble Choice program. Did you know Humble Bundle has a great monthly subscription service that lets you get a ton of video games every single month? That's right, from plans range from $5 to $20 a month, you get a hold of a bunch of free games they have available to you. And you can use our code down in the description below to go and sign up. It would help our podcast and help you see what great games are available for you this month. Hello everyone and welcome back to one of these fun interview episodes of the SWW Show. I'm Mike and today with me a, actually geographically closer than normal. Special guest uh, to talk about uh, his upcoming game. To get us started, do you mind introducing yourself and the game we're here to talk about?
4: Hi, um, my name is Etienne. I'm a game developer from Montreal. I make. I used to work in AAA, and now I make indie games. And my latest one, my latest one is Breach Wonders, which just came out in early access uh, on Steam and Android.
0: Perfect. So, for people who don't know. The reason the Breach Ronders caught my eye, obviously, I think if you talk about that because you're like, what would you it your eye? You combined two of some of my favorite things immediately, which is uh, clickbook card games and roguelikes and kind of deck builders. Do you mind giving people probably much better out-of-pitch than I can about the game?
4: Yeah, so basically I'm a big fan of uh, exactly like you, roguelikes, roguelike deck builders, and card games like Magic and Hearthstone. And I played also a lot of Eternal which is a bit less known, but still very fun. But in all the roguelike deck builders, which there are a lot right now, I felt like the, the progression was always the same and always a bit bad in my eye. Where the more you progress, the more you unlock cards, and then these cards dilute the card pool of cards you have access to. So it makes the runs like, I guess it does make them harder, which is not bad, but it makes them harder in a way that's not so fun in my eyes, because it makes it harder to make fun decks for you, because the card pool is more diluted. So my solution was to turn the game into something that's closer to magic, where you you build your own starting deck, you build your own pool based on a larger pool of cards that you unlocked as you progress, and then you start a run. So there's still randomness, because you don't choose every card that shows up, but you can choose which cards may show up. So it, it, makes a, it merges the two genres together, and it, it's pretty fun so far.
0: Nice, yeah. So why immediately do you decide to do what feels like a decently big undertaking, obviously? Because um, we were talk about, obviously, these kind of generation games, and people are like, oh, it's in theory less content, and this way you just kind of use it for some control. But like, in actuality, you make these things, they're really hard to get these like randomness engines right and make it all feel balanced and fair. What made you want to take this kind of undertaking?
4: Uh, well, the game itself isn't that complex in terms of genre, since it's still 2D. Uh, you don't need a lot of animation work, so it's less work than, let's say, a platformer in terms of animations and... Even level design, you don't really need to do like complex level design. Just a little bit of the the map design and then the node connections. But it's a lot easier to connect nodes together in a map than to connect rooms together with like doors and corridors and all that. So, in terms of roguelike, I feel like it's probably one of the easier one to do, which is probably why also there are so many on the on the Play Store. And as for balance, I, I'm a big fan of like giving a lot of options to players and having the game be very balanced and my previous game which was on mobile was all about like min maxing characters and all of that and after that game that i made on mobile every other game will probably be uh, simple to balance because of how how insane i went like for that that previous game so it didn't feel too much of a challenge to me to make it in a into a roguelike form
0: that's very interesting so i'm curious kind of well can I touch on that last game too? Is when we say the word balance, obviously it means different things to every to different people. When when me and you say balance right now, kind of and you talk about this in the in the idea of this type of game, what do you think of is balanced or fair? Do you look for something that's more of this like, oh, it's a bit of a challenge? Or do you like I would like or do you look at it more of like a like it really isn't but it feels like it is? I'm kinda of curious kind of what is that kind of balance experience you in quotes? Because I feel like these games are very all over the place.
4: Yeah, uh, it's true that it's all over the place and it's often used as a criticism after like 30 minutes of playing a game and saying like, oh, this game is just unbalanced. If you've played 30 minutes, you don't know if the game is balanced or not. You, you don't just don't have enough knowledge, but it it gets thrown around a lot. To me, balance is two things. First is how difficult is the challenge compared to like the 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 tools of the player, so can the player have enough tools to overcome the challenge, and is that challenge appropriate sometimes the the challenge is too hard and you don't have enough tools, but sometimes your tools are too strong and you don't have enough challenge so this is one thing to keep in mind, and the second one is among the options that are available to the player are the like can you choose any of these options and still do well, or are you forced into t- picking just one or two options if you want to do well? So I think it's between these two aspects that you need to to, to play it right.
0: I think a very, I think a very fair way of saying it. I think of them always as like you have like that, that window of like, here is that perfect challenge to option window. Do you, have you had trouble then? because I think of an, an immediate problem to me that could happen in these games is the idea of when you're making all these cards and options. That a you uh, make a card that a player is like now I must have this every single time or I'm screwed in a run. Have you run into those? And kind of if so, how do you kind of control for these cases?
4: Yeah, it, it happened during early testing where, um, well, it's a bit like because because my game is a bit like Magic and Hearthstone, it, it does get a bit harder to balance because, like, let's say in Slay the Spire. If there's a combo that's of two cards that really strong, well, maybe you'll do 20 runs and never see any of these two cards. So it's not as bad, like, if things are unbalanced. And sometimes it's good to have a few of them because uh, when you do get that combo going, it's really fun for the player. So as long as it only happens once in a while, it's fine. But in mind, since you can choose, like, the cards, you can not get them every run, but you can guarantee that you will get them pretty often, so I have to be very careful early on, for example, there was one uh type of synergy that was just too strong, so every deck started with like the same ten cards, and then you added other cards to that, but the same core was always added in every deck because it was just by far the best way to play so I just monitor like i I have a, a little bit of analytics that shows me like the the more popular cards i've A lot of playtesters are very like uh, motivated, so they play a lot and they really see all the strong interactions and which ones are maybe too strong and all that. So it's just about monitoring and seeing the things, but in the end, a roguelike is easier to balance than another game because of the randomness. So even if there are broken combos... Usually, they won't be seen every game, so it's, it's easier in that sense.
0: Or if they are seen, it's like that player remembers that moment that they want to replicate of, like, it saved them. Mm-hmm. What I actually was kind of kind of curious about, now that you're saying that, I was thinking that, is it almost feels to me that you almost want cards that are inherently unbroken, but you want them so rare that a player, like, really wants them which is really hard to get. Did you ever think of kind of purposely just, instead of like how you're like, oh, if someone would become broken, it's fine. Have you thought of like purposely putting in these insane options that like are just nearly impossible to find so the sort of player has that one memory?
4: Yeah, in the game, actually, they're... Because every fight you do, you you gain two cards. Well, you you get to choose between three cards. Two come from the pool you selected yourself at the beginning, but one comes from the specific monster you just fought. So every monster has two cards that it can drop. So I can use that to make uh, cards that are more powerful and maybe more like that enable stronger combos because since they come from a monster sometimes you won't see the monster and sometimes you will see the monster but you won't drop the card so it's it makes it easier to put the the very strong cards there and keep them rare in that sense
0: it kind of is yeah give the player the options but like but here's super rare ones but you only get so many like that's a very interesting kind of way um I'm curious, kind of, as we talked about, and that was, I think you kind of mentioned it, is when I think of these card games, I think of them kind of go in a couple buckets, right? So obviously you have the Hearthstone Magic bucket. I think of, like, Pokemon bucket, which is a little bit of the easier side. I think of Yu-Gi-Oh!, which I think is more of a quicker game. When When you were developing this at this point, you just kind of, in your head, say Hearthstone and Magic is the digital form that I want to replicate, or like replicate, well, okay, but like uses mass Inspirations, or did you start pulling kind of from these other card games that are popular to kind of figure out wh- how you wanted it to play?
4: Uh, well, at its core, it was closer to Slay the Spire. So for the Magic and Hearthstone, it was more about like the, the feeling of opening packs, uh, improving your collection, building your decks. So um, that was the aspect I borrowed from these games, but the cards themselves will look more like RPG cards, where it's like you in a fight against enemies, and you have to use cards against these enemies, rather than uh, like in Magic or Hearthstone, you're kind of battling another player. So it's a a
2: different feeling.
0: It is very interesting, kind of. It's always this struggle. (laughs) I think is the best way to put it. Um, Kind of jumping into, as we have been focused on that, is I want to kind of focus kind of, so you said Slay the Spire was obviously a massive influence of this game. Are there any other of those types of games that you felt that did something that you really liked, but you thought you could combine it differently to improve as like inspiration? So like to me, I think of when I look at the game, I think of like Darkest Dungeon in some ways, kind of how it looks like the combat kind of feels and stuff.
4: Uh, well, I played a, a lot of the roguelike dick builders. I, I played every one of them that's on mobile, for example, because uh, I wanted to, because my game is also available on mobile, so I wanted to see what was out there. Uh, there's so many on PC, I can't, I, I haven't played them all, but one that was a... You uh, played all
0: on mobile, I'm gonna be honest with you. I thought there be more on mobile than PC.
4: <laughs> yeah, I, I thought so too, but uh, surprising, there's only like 10 to 15 of them on mobile, and there's like dozens and dozens on PC, so I was also surprised it's a bit of a, a more undiscovered genre on mobile, which is why I think uh, my game is getting popular there slowly, because it, it's like, the games are there, a lot of them are very cheaply made, and a bit like, pretty unbalanced and all that, so mobile it's fun problem. to... problem,
0: that's what you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, basically. And, and even Slate Aspire is on mobile, but the port apparently, like, I haven't played it, but apparently the port is really bad, like, it doesn't even save the runs in progress. The The UI isn't really changed from PC. So it's very small and hard to read and hard to use with a finger. So even like the, the best one on mobile is so-so, so, so. So I feel there's space to have like a really good one that plays well and is fun and is on mobile for everyone to enjoy. But uh, for I'm your question, shocked. oh, sorry.
0: You know, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just again, just shocked of. I don't see the lack of respect, but like the lack of treatment a lot of the like the using the mobile ports get, especially some like Slay like the Spire, which obviously the mobile issue um is is like graphics and, and power. And like these games do some intensive things, but they're pro- I, I'm surprised there aren't easier ways to make them less intensive on this processor to make them very viable on this platform.
4: Yeah, m- well, well I, I honestly don't know whether doing exactly because my game runs perfectly well on, on my like 10 year old phone. So it, it's, it's because it's simple 2D graphics and like there's, you don't, you don't have intensive calculations to make. There's, it, it's really not, there's not much of anything. I think a lot of people making these small games, they're used to making it on PC. So they maybe don't even know how to optimize all that well. So when they, they get to mobile, they're like, oh, wow, why is this running like so poorly? Be- but sometimes it's just like they don't know all the tips and tricks that you need to do in order to to make a game run well uh, on a phone. And it's my third game on mobile now, so I'm I'm more used to that side uh, of things.
0: Then kind of keeping down that road is how... So you said one of the things is that Slay This Fire didn't do, that you're focusing on, it sounds like, is adjusting the UI and some capacity for these mobile devices. I always go back to, I think it was Harry Stone Talker only did that port of, initially they had ported it like how the iPad version looks like the computer version, they ported it to phones, and they're like, yeah, it looks, oh, it's a problem because the cards take up two-thirds of the screen. I'm kind of curious kind of what things for players who kind of just pay attention to the PC version, kind of or or the inverse, Kind of what, what are the kind of the core differences between how your game plays to account for these different platforms?
4: Well, the main difference is that on PC you can hover stuff with your mouse. So, like for card games, you just have to hover the card to see the, the whole information and the pop ups, whereas on mobile you have to tap the card and hold it down. So, and this goes for everything where in like In my game, sometimes you can receive a buff, so you can just bring your mouse over to it on PC and see the effects of the buff. But on on mobile, you have to tap your character and then it'll show the effects. So, um, it's a bit more tapping on mobile and like trying to figure out what you can tap and what you can't tap to get more information. And other than that, it's also just like scaling the right elements so that they're bigger on, on the phone so you can actually read them easily. Um, but yeah, those are the two main differences, which so is the size and also just the fact that you can't hover anything on, on your phone.
0: Kind of a more production-y question here then. How do you kind of keep that balance during development of making sure you're not focusing too much on one platform? Are you, having, are you doing something internally like, if I make a new thing, I will not launch it until I know it works optimally basically for both platforms?
4: Yeah, for this game, I'm really making both platforms at once, and it's still very soon, and so far, in terms of revenue, both platforms have made similar amounts, so, uh, I, I'm, like, it's part of why I'm still focusing on two equally. If one was doing, like, 50 times better than the other, then maybe I would stop focusing so much on the one that's doing very poorly. But so far, it's been doing well on w- both platforms, and, uh, for me, since it's also, like, it's a simple game, so it's easy to, to, to make the tweaks so that it's fine on both platforms. And personally, like, I test it a lot on my PC, but when I just want to relax, I'll play my game on my phone, like, in my sofa or outside. So I, I do get to play with both and see, like, oh no, this should be tuned right now because it's, it's too big for PC or it's too small for mobile or this doesn't flow all that well on my phone, so. Since I play both very actively, it's easy for me to see, like, what needs to be changed and tuned.
0: It's my age-old joke of, I always joke, someone I'm working on some games, and I'm always like, I'm like, I want my next game to be a Switch game, for the sole reason of when I'm testing this fucker, I'm sitting on the couch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dumb, selfish reason, because a part of me goes like, God, because there are times you're playing it, I'm like, I wish I could just, be, like, I would still be doing this, but I wish you would just be laying down or sitting down in a different spot right now. <laughs>
4: Yeah, cause I, I, like, now it's the summer, it's very nice outside and, but I'm working all day, but sometimes I, I like to go in my garden and just like sit on a bench and, and play, play my game and test it. So I'm still getting work done. It's light work, but it's still work, but I, at least I can be a little bit outside and breathe in the, the air with the plants and all that. So it, it's really nice.
0: That's just such a fun, but very specific problem that a lot of developers always like, you know, that's, like, everyone's like, yeah, this is why I'll go test on this version, so I just go walk away.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so I'm kind of curious as we talk about You are in currently in Early Access. The game came out on June 4th, which is roughly three weeks from when we are talking right now. Uh, initially, how has the reception to the game been compared to what you expected?
4: Um, on PC, I was surprised. I Well, the reception has been great. People are really enjoying it. On PC, I was even surprised because the game does a lot of things differently. So I was expecting a lot of knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, I hate this and uh, bad reviews. But I I haven't even gotten a a bad review yet. So I'm really, really happy and people seem to be really enjoying the game. So like, I I can't really ask for more at this point. Oh yeah no for sure as especially as i eventually when the game fully releases and like it will be unleashed to the masses uh like I, I know for sure that i'll i'll gonna i'm gonna be getting negative reviews, but like my previous game also was quite small, but even then like among the first few reviews, a few of them were negative, which is fine, it's normal, so i I expect it but I was just—it was a nice surprise to see everybody just enjoying the game, especially because among the the few people that tested it, some some were like incredibly against the game. They were saying like, "Oh, it's a horrible game, and it oh, it doesn't do anything well." So sometimes it's good to see that those people are just outliers and not like, "Oh, I horribly miscalculated, and the game I thought was fun is actually really really boring," you know.
0: That's always the word. It's always. It's like when you put that initial build on the wild. You're like, I know this game's going to suck. It's going to suck. And all of a sudden people are like, oh, I like it. You're like, go on. Because
4: <laughs> you like, walk towards
0: them. So, as we said, then, so you and Early Access, it's been about three weeks. What can players who buy the game now or around now can expect upcoming in the next couple of months?
4: Um, In the next couple of months, I, I want to have two big updates. Uh, the first one, really. Well, because the game is divided in depths, I'm expecting the final game to have four depths, but the Early Access version currently only has two. And the third depth, which adds a, a lot of content and especially a lot of challenge, should be releasing this summer. So I'm really excited about that. It features a new hero that I'm really uh, hyped about. He should be really cool to play with. And then the the next patch, which I, th- I think is also going to be really important, will be about the visuals of the game because uh, I made them a little bit on the cheap side at first not so much the characters and the enemies but just like the UI the cards the cards themselves the art of the cards and all of that was done on the cheap because I just wanted something out there that, and it's serviceable right now but it's it's not like uh, it's not impressive when you look at it so I want to do a big revamp on that and really make the game look as because I think the game is quite fun, so I wanted to make to be as beautiful as it is fun. That's the that's the goal right now.
0: I I hundred percent relate. We are currently in an art example, so and it's always like we thought that was a good idea for art back then. Interesting. Or you find the art asset that it was hundred percent a placeholder art. You just secretly been like putting in patches for like six months, and you're like, we need to get rid of this thing.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: Perfect. So yeah, so the game. People are curious: Is Breach Wanderers? Uh, It is currently available on Steam Early Access for fourteen ninety nine. And is that is it like iOS and Android for the mobile ports? What is the mobile port situation currently?
4: Uh, It's currently only on Android. It's free to download, and you have access to not like you have access to maybe half the content that's currently on it. And you can pay ten dollars, well ten US dollars, to to unlock it fully. So it's only a single purchases there's no like subscription there's no ads there's no there's nothing of the usual mobile uh, shenanigans so you just pay 10 bucks and you get the whole game and of course the the new content that i'm going to be adding will be part of the the locked section so over time the the free section will feel a bit smaller as the 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 paid section gets bigger and bigger
0: to clarify then you're not like locking more the free section you're just kind of like here is the free section So like. It's not because over time there's less content. It's just because there is more content to the paid people.
4: Yeah, exactly. The, the free section is two characters, two depths, and uh, two buildings. Because there's like buildings that you can buy upgrades from. So that's part of the free. And it's still like you can easily have 10, 15 hours of fun with the free section of the game.
0: So I'm just curious, if you don't mind, is why did you... So I understand why mobile you did that. I think it makes a lot of sense on the market. Is PC you didn't do that just because it's not the same expectation, or at least because stuff like Steam has that built in? I hate to say free trial, but it secretly is that two week, that two week, two hour rule. Does that kind of control them for the same people? that at least get a test on mobile.
4: Uh, well, it's mostly because of the ecosystem people on mobile just don't buy paid games unless it's something like the Aspire or Dead Cells or a game that's incredibly popular already and finally releases after years of people waiting for it, like it finally releases on mobile, then people will buy it. But other than that, people just won't buy it. So having it free to try and then people who like it then buy it is is the more obvious solution. And on Steam, people just don't think that way. Like like you mentioned, a lot of them use the two-hour window to... to know if they like the game or not. And we actually, like, really tuned the early game balance uh, with that two-hour window in mind. Like, we wanted to make sure that the player saw, like, this amount of content within two hours to make sure that they didn't refund too fast, you know? Um,
0: Um, Some very known disdain towards the I don't think inherently it's a bad idea. I think it is uh, misused for specifically independent and shorter games, and and I think that rule should be amended for those kind of things. But it sounds like at least your game, you have at least somewhat accounted for it, and your game isn't something that like you could blow through in two hours, so it wouldn't affect quite the same.
4: Yeah, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's very content heavy, so it it takes a, it takes a lot of time to get through it all.
0: Right. Well, again, I want to say thank you for taking time from new to talk to me about the game. Is there any other spot we should be sending people to go check it out?
4: No, for now, it's only on Steam and Android. So if you guys want to give it a try for free, just try the Android version. And if you end up liking it, you can buy it on, on either platform or even both if you're really a big fan.
0: You're like, please buy it on both platforms, make a new account, buy it again. As many times as you want to buy it, right?
4: <laughs> yeah, I I, I I, won't complain if you do that. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs>
0: Perfect. Well, uh, thank you again. <laughs>
4: Okay, no problem. Thank you for having me.
0: This podcast was a production of The SWW Show. To learn more, go to theswwshow.com. Remember, you can follow the show on Twitter at The SWW Show. You can follow me at Mikey underscore Maroney. You can follow AJ at Low Remember, new episodes premiere on Friday, 9 a.m. Central Time on anchor.fm slash SWW and podcast services around the globe.